Welcome to K-Drama School. I'm your host, Grace Jung, and class is now in session. about a 2005 Korean drama called My Lovely Samsun. In Korean, it's uh, Neidom and Kim Samsun. And um, it's an NBC drama based on a novel. It was an internet novel, a novel published online. It stars Kim Seon-ha and Hyun-bin. The co-stars are Jung Ryo-won and Daniel Henny. And Samsun is considered this hilarious hilarious, corny, cheesy name to Koreans because it takes the word sam, which means third or three, and then combines it with sun, which is like, it signifies like demure femininity or something. And it was, she was named Samsun by her grandfather out of anger because she was the third daughter born in a row. So from the start, she is, um, how do you say, Cursed by patriarchy, essentially. In addition to this, Hamsun is considered fat, quote unquote fat, by Korean standards. Again, there's this like patriarchal male gaze determining her body as abnormal or not ideal. And honestly, when you're watching this show, you're going to see that she is nowhere near fat. Like there's nothing overweight about her. It's so dumb to call her fat on this show the fact that she put on 15 pounds in order to play this role like there's it's like ridiculous especially in the pandemic like when everybody's packing on weight like 15 pounds that's modest okay like make it 150 pounds and then we'll talk okay then we'll say all right you know you're really committed to your to your acting. Kim Sana is still amazing on this show she's super funny I cracked up multiple times in every single episode while watching this. Hyunbin is also super young in this drama. He was 23 years old on this show. Can you believe that? So young. A baby. He was a baby. For those of you who don't know, Hyunbin plays uh, Captain Lee Jung-yuk on Crash Landing on You. So you've all seen him. You all know him. You love him. He's also in a couple other Korean dramas you've probably seen, like Secret Garden which is just like an okay drama. Hajiwon is in that, so you can see her in that. She doesn't cry as much in that show. He's also in Memories of Alhambra, which is a ridiculous drama. It's on Netflix. It is ridiculous. Uh, so check it out if you want to see some nice vistas of Spain, but genuinely, it is not a good show. Kim Sana plays Hamsun, who is a pastry chef who has training in Paris. She gets dumped by her boyfriend of many years. Maybe one or two years? I don't know. Anyway, he treats her like crap. Yeah. He dumps her while cheating on her at a hotel. And he dumps her on Christmas Day. Like, isn't that so fucked up? He gets engaged to one of Samsung's younger uh, and richer friends. Like, one of her tongsings named Chiri. And uh, he tries to rekindle things with Samsung. Again, behind his fiancée's back. Isn't that something? Men are pigs. If you didn't know, this is what men are, all right? They are scum. They're pigs. They're awful. Hyunbin plays Jinhon, who is a bratty son of a hotelier. Uh, why are there so many rich, bratty boys in Korean dramas? Like, why do they all have to be brats? Why can't they just be, like, decent 
<laughs> you know, why can't they be nice? Anyway, he's really stuck up. He's arrogant, but he carries some past trauma. Um, he got into a car accident that killed his older brother and his sister-in-law. It also killed the motorcyclist that he hit, and he was the one that was behind the wheel. Um, his baby niece survived the car accident, but she stopped speaking uh, ever since that incident. So he's been raising her. And uh, while he was laid up and recovering from his severe injuries, his girlfriend of many years named Hijin, she leaves him without explaining. She just goes to the U.S. And then she returns three years later to rekindle things with him. But of course, he's not going to have it. He also hired uh, Samsun as the head pastry chef at the restaurant that he runs. And the two of them sign an agreement that states that they will pretend to be each other's partners in order to get his mom off his back uh, because she keeps arranging blind dates for him. Again, like parental greed <laughs> and pressure. Uh, heteronormative pressures. Yeah, all of that is happening. While they're pretending to be each other's partners, they end up falling in love. Hee-jin is also there, but she's trying to win Jin-hun back. Daniel Henny, who plays Henry on this show, is Hee-jin's friend and doctor, I guess. Like, they met in the U.S. And Henry's, like, in love with Hee-jin. It's, like, so, like, complicated. It turns out Hee-jin went to the States and left Jin-hun because she had stomach cancer. And uh, she went to the U.S. for treatment. She just didn't want to tell Jin-hun that she had cancer because she didn't want to burden him anymore with uh, bad news. And then when Jin-hun learns of this, he slaps Hee-jin across the face. That becomes a sign that, like, um, they still love each other. It's so fucked up. It is so fucked up. But then Jin-hun realizes while he's with Hee-jin that it's over. Like, his relationship, his time with her is over. He's in love with Samsun, and then he dumps her. <laughs> Like, Hee-jin gets screwed big time. Neidum and Kim Samsun, it's such a good show. Uh, it inspired a lot of feminism around the globe or feminist conversations around K-dramas, including in Iran. So there's a, an article written by Kion Gu on Korean dramas. My lovely Samsun is in there. And turns out that show inspired cyber feminism in Iran, especially around the topic of women being pressured to get married. And in episode one of the show, you, you see Samsun going to a matchmaker like one of these like matchmaking businesses and the consultant that she sees he demands a lot of money in order to help her find a partner and he asks demeaning questions like how much work did you get done on your face or your body like why are you so old do you have any idea how hard it is to find a partner for old women and she's like 30 years old right like in korea she's technically 29 this is something that's commonly found among koreans who are stuck in the old ways of thinking you know like for instance whenever i go to korea um, a lot of my family members, especially my uncles, like one of the first things that they ask me is, are you married yet? Yeah. They ask me that and they also say, why did you get so fat? Basically any woman <laughs> in Korea in her 30s who is single is a Kim Samsun. Okay. It's a really fucking annoying question, you know, to be asked that. Like, why aren't you married yet? Are you married yet? Because it frames a single woman as a failure, right? And she's a failure according to patriarchal heteronormative standards. This pressure for women to get married in Korea only exists because of patriarchal order, because of patriarchal expectations that women's bodies are not bodies. They're just vessels for reproducing children, reproducing more, um, more 
numbers for the country, for the demographic, for uh, capitalist purposes. You know, it's it's fucking stupid. It's so dumb. I, I want that shit to end. When you see the ending of Crash Landing on you, you see Tani's character, right? So she just lost um, her lover and she decides to remain single, right? Like even her mom is like trying to hire like a mudang so that they can like somehow um, rearrange her fortune, like her fate to be a single woman. And like her mother thinks that that's all fucked up. But then Tani says, no, like I want to remain single and independent and I want to find happiness living my independent life. In fact, you see a lot of this in contemporary Korean dramas today, right? Like the ending, they don't really end up with marriage. The couples, they don't end in marriage. They kind of just end up as a couple typically, you know. Samsun ends on a similar note. So in the last episode of uh, Nidum and Kim Samsun, you see her and Jinon walking together in the streets of Seoul. And it doesn't end with the two of them walking down the aisle together. You know, it just ends with them walking together as her voiceover narration states that she doesn't know if this love will last forever, but that she will prioritize love. In another article written by Hee Jung Soon on feminism in the 21st century in Korean media, it states that the early 2000s Korean dramas have female characters that express greater agency, more so than the 1990s Korean drama characters. And I would agree with this. I'd say that the women in the 2010s especially, they express less interest in marriage. They emphasize career, they emphasize self-care, self-love, self-determination. Um, all these kind of empowering elements. So these women have greater agency. You can even see that in dramas like Record of Youth, okay, which came out this past fall. So I like Neidum and Kim Samsun because it fleshes out female characters. I think the fact that this was originally a novel helps this because um, you have more room for interiority and like deeper character development with novels. I think every actor on this show delivered amazing performances and it's really like a feel-good drama to watch, you know? And it's got some moments of heaviness, but they were handled nicely. Um, they were complemented nicely with all the comedic elements. And again, Hyunbin impressed the shit out of me on this show, especially the car accident scene. Like, there's this car accident scene, uh, a flashback memory, and he is, like, so good in that. He was also really good in the breakup scene when he's breaking up with Hijin. Oh my gosh, so good. Anyway, it's a really sweet and funny Korean drama that's worth seeing. So check it out if you haven't. And today I'm going to talk to a really sweet and funny comedian who reminds me of this show very much. His name is Ben McLean. He's a Canadian comic. He's based in Berlin. And he had an interesting life. He used to be a diplomat. What? And he quit his uh, diplomatic duties in order to become a flight attendant. Hello. And of course, a stand-up comic. Yeah. And he's very funny. He makes these really hilarious videos, which you have to check out on his Instagram. And he runs a really great uh, Berlin comedy show called Go West. So let's talk to Ben McLean. Yeah. Man, I miss <laughs> Costco. I wish I had a membership. A friend of mine, this was right before the pandemic started. Um, he was supposed to, we were supposed to go to Costco together because he has a Costco membership. Yeah. And I really yeah. wanted to go to Costco because I love those big ass muffins that they have. Oh you know what God, I'm talking muffins. about? They're not, so oh, of course good. I know. Of course and I, know. I, I wanted those and, and then the fucking pandemic happened and we couldn't go. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then, you know, you saw those images of like people fighting over toilet paper back then, you know, yeah, it was just yeah. mayhem, especially in Costco. 
But I would have, I would have like, I would have elbowed someone in the face just for one of those muffins. Dude, me too, me too. Oh my gosh. Oh um, my. How's uh, how's your show going, Go West? Are you still doing the virtual thing? We're still doing the virtual thing. We're going to do it once a month. That's what we're trying to do. Um, it's just so strange. First of all, to state the obvious, you need good internet to do these things. Yes. And my internet at home has been awful. So we actually, I have to go to the venue where we would normally do the show oh. in order to mooch off of their internet. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I mean, there's just one guy, one of the volunteers at this charity place where we do the show yeah. who comes in. So that's one obstacle. And then all the other shit that everyone's going through. Um, my co-host, you know, Simone, she went back to where she's from, New Zealand, because mm -hmm. she needed to help with something in her family. Mm. and um, I'm in a somewhat similar situation where I want to go back and see my folks in a couple mm -hmm. months, even though it's the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So then we're trying to do this Berlin-based online show, but from mm. completely different sides of the world. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of cool that we can do it that, is. but it's um, yeah. it's it's not it's not always easy. So, yeah. yeah. That whole internet connectivity thing is definitely, like, an issue for students as well. Like, mm. it's bringing up conversations about equity and, mm -hmm. like, access to internet connection, access Definitely. to devices that allow Zoom, yeah. um, you know, students to access Zoom. Like, do they have tablets? Do they have computers? Course, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so all of that's been kind of emerging at the same time. And I'm like, all right, yeah, this is a necessary conversation. So, yeah. I, I get the whole internet thing, but also in Berlin, like internet, like finding high speed internet is just hard. It seems. It's horrible. I mean, that's yeah. I was going to say, because it's not just a, like a socioeconomic status yeah. issue with internet access. Like some <laughs> just Berlin, very advanced cities in yes. the world have horrible internet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, when I think of, I'm actually kind of looking forward to going back and seeing my elderly parents in rural Canada, in the middle of friggin' nowhere. Yes. Because everybody has fiber internet, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Like I, I am so sick and tired of, um, cause in the States we use time Warner, which they now call spectrum. Yeah. And yeah. like, there's such a monopoly, like every year they increase, they don't do anything to the internet. Nothing changes, nothing improves, but they increase the bill by $10 every year. Yeah, yeah. So let's say you've been living in the same place for seven years. $70 more than what you used to pay initially. Someone's got to pay Anderson Cooper, Grace. Come on. <laughs> you know, Christiana Amanpour needs some new shoes, my friend, you know. <laughs> so you're paying for them. But uh, it's awful. I mean, the companies here are really bad, too. It's funny because I opened, you have to, you know, you call them, you open a ticket because I'm having all these problems with my internet. They said, oh, yeah, there's a big problem in your neighborhood. We're aware of it. And then yeah. they just sent me a text message like an hour ago saying, your ticket's been resolved, you know. <laughs> and I they do this all the time. So I called them back and said, um, actually, the same problem exists. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's Nothing's horrible. been resolved. Yeah. 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 But thanks for trying to gaslight me into thinking that it is. <laughs> <laughs> kind of evolved here in Berlin the way it felt mm -hmm. to do the shows again. Like when I started... I was a bit late kind of getting back on stage because I wanted to feel out the situation. I mm -hmm. started in August again. Mm. And so I had not been performing, I think, for, what, five months? Mm. And at that point, it was the summer. Everyone was outside. Mm -hmm. uh, the vibe was really positive. People were just excited to be around other human beings again. Yeah. But then what I found 
just before we went back into the lockdown, so end of October, then we had to perform inside. Mm -hmm. um, there weren't as many, there were no outdoor shows anymore at that point. And uh, the only people who were going to the shows had, um, shall we say, a different risk tolerance. So mm -hmm. the people who were still going to the indoor shows, because in Berlin, like there was, there was theoretically social distancing, but it wasn't mm -hmm. a heck of a lot, it, I didn't find. So I just found the atmosphere at the gigs was very different. So for me, mm -hmm. it didn't feel like a, a, a situation where I could let go and have fun and interact with people. Unfortunately, I was just kind of thinking like, well, this, something about this doesn't seem right. It seems like we've gone a little bit too far down the road of maybe not taking enough precautions. Like yeah. we're on a slippery slope here. So mm -hmm. I guess the... Um, the fun and the mental health benefits of getting back on stage kind of started being canceled out a little bit at that mm -hmm. point. Being Not being around comedians too. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. not always, with all due respect to the comedians whom, whom I love dearly, it's not always a negative thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's not always a bad thing because I think we're such a, like, we're, we're a very quirky group of people. Yes. And uh, we're very high maintenance, I think, in a lot of ways. Yeah. And uh, there are a lot of mental health issues and substance, oh, yeah. substance use and abuse issues yes. in the community. Mm -hmm. And I kind of feel like, um, I'm not saying I don't have mental health issues, but the substance mm -hmm. use issues, not my, that's not my bag, it's not my cup mm -hmm. of tea. Right. So to be away from that for a few months has kind of been a good thing for me, I find. Yeah. Totally. Um, so that's kind of a, a bit strange, but. Oh yeah, you know. I completely agree. Um, yeah, substance abuse, alcohol abuse, it's a huge problem among comedians. Uh, that's why so many comedians, um, you know, eventually become sober. Yeah, <laughs> I know. know. <laughs> just, so I'm many like, I'm them. just cutting out that phase in the middle, you know, I'm just, I'm just <laughs> like boring from start to finish without going through the the, the hell hole the hell hole in the middle potentially the hell yeah, hole. Yeah. like i don't really drink anymore you know what i mean like i don't really i used to t do a lot of edibles like in the beginning because i needed to sleep but like i was like i'm not even sleeping i'm just up and i'm like buying handbags that i don't <laughs> don't want to buy because <laughs> i've I'm seen the high. videos yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah so um yeah just trying to be healthier trying to get clarity and setting my boundaries and yeah like unfortunately mm being in the comedy scene where we are exposed to a lot of that. So I hear you. I find um, that boundary setting, it's kind of, I know it's corny to talk about resolutions and stuff, but that's kind of something I'm thinking about for the new year as well. Cause I think maybe it's something that comes with having done comedy for a few years, even if I'm very much still amateur. And yeah. that is, I think when you, when you first start out, even as an amateur, like I wanted to, take every opportunity. I wanted to collaborate with every single person anytime mm. I had the chance to do that. Yeah. And uh, I think what I've realized after kind of doing this now for a few years is that I don't have to feel obligated to work with every comedian. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to click with every comedian. And there will be those situations with someone who... Mm -hmm either through some sort of personal issue or just because of a different personality and approach to mm -hmm. things isn't going to be someone I need to focus too much energy on. They'll find sure. other people that they can work with and that they'll jive better with. But, um, 
Mm-hmm. I think that's something that when I get back onto the scene here in Berlin, I pr- probably will try to approach a little bit differently, mm-hmm. be a bit more strategic about the people I want to work with because I enjoy their material more or mm-hmm. I like how they how they work, not just the kind of stuff mm-hmm. that they produce. Mm-hmm. So you know, these yeah. are, I guess, the, the things you think about when you have a lot of time to think. Yeah, and I mean, this, this comedy thing, I guess we come at it from different angles. Some people want to make money from it. Some people mm-hmm. see it as a form of art, as a form of expression. Some people use it as a mm-hmm. form of therapy. But mm-hmm. um, on all of those levels, I would hope it's something that actually makes you a happier person or brings you some sort of pleasure. Mm-hmm. And if you mm-hmm. find yourself in situations where you're just like, no, I don't, there's too much conflict here or I feel a little bit exploited or whatever, then right. it's not it's not worth it. I mean, there, there are many other, any, many other opportunities you can find for yourself, I think. So hundred percent. I totally agree with that. Like when I was first starting out, um, the comedy mentor I mentioned, he said two things. He was like, there are just two rules. One, don't copy anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, like don't steal jokes. Don't copy anybody Two. Um, don't let anybody treat you like shit because nobody Mm. owns this business. Mm. And I was like, those are simple rules that I agree with that I could abide by. And that's how it's been. And when I feel like there are people around me who step on those rules for me, then I'm like, all right, let me just go the other way because it's a big world. You know, there are plenty of people. For sure. I think for me, it's, it's always interesting because I left a very business businessy world where I didn't feel comfortable with the kind of alpha male behavior of a lot of people. Um, and where I didn't feel I was always in situations that I was ethically comfortable with. And when I moved, uh, into, shall we say more artistic line of work, I guess I was Mm -hmm. super naive and I was just like, oh, those same dynamics don't exist in comedy. But of Mm -hmm. course they do. It's like, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, It's a lot of, uh, you know, good things as well in terms of hard work paying off and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But there are also very uh, selfish, aggressive personalities that you have to learn to deal with. And, uh, try to tell yourself, is that something that I want to, I don't want to emulate that, you know, I don't want to be like that. Right. Um, right. Yeah. So. Cause yeah, it's all like the reason why you have that kind of toxic masculinity or even, you know, just toxic women as well. Like I worked with a very toxic female supervisor, um, when I was still working at an office, but it's like the reason why that exists is because of ego and, yeah. You know, I'm, I mean ego in like a very psychological sense. Like, I, I, this is what I learned, but I learned that the ego, what it does is it just does everything it can to protect itself. It's very defensive. You know, if the ego feels hurt or attacked, it just is obsessed with healing that or mm. um, protecting that. So that's what you get in the business world oftentimes because it's very cutthroat, very competitive. And that's what mm-hmm. you also get in any kind of art world, because even though it's art, there are people who are in it for different reasons, like, as you say. And, um, you know, there are a lot of sensitive artists, but there are also insecure artists. And 
yeah. when their ego feels slighted, they will react in a way that can cause harm, you know, towards one another and the self. So, yeah, um, yeah. yeah I think being mindful of that and aware of that and going after pursuing peace. I think that's a, a great resolution. I like that. <laughs> you put it a bit more eloquently than I did, but um, yeah, I, well, it's just, we do, I, again, um, I think even in a place like Berlin, mm -hmm. it's not as much of a comedy Mecca as for example, LA or New York or uh, London, but there are enough people here that you really can find mm -hmm. the group that you kind of feel most comfortable with. Do you miss Canada? Where where in rural Canada are you from? I'm from Nova Scotia. It's on the East Coast. It's a very, uh, it's oh. like the second, second smallest province. So I think the whole province has a million people. Yeah. And yeah, um, yeah it's known, known for a few things. It's known for Anne Murray, seafood. Um, seafood. Yeah. Sarah McLaughlin is from there. So every time you hear the wow. SPCA, exactly, you know, think of, think of Nova Scotia. Elliot Page wow. is from Halifax. So what? Yes, there are all kinds of famous so many people. People are Canadian. Mm. I forget. Yeah. Yeah. But I, um, mm. I mean, I do, I do miss it. I think Germans, because mm -hmm. so many Germans are obsessed with living in other countries. They want to live in Australia. They want to live in Canada. They want to live in the states. Mm -hmm. Germans constantly ask me if I intend to stay here in Germany, um, hmm. which makes me a bit uncomfortable when they ask me that as a foreigner, but I'm like, is there a reason I shouldn't be, should I not be staying? <laughs> or, yeah. um, but it's because they're like, they're so fascinated with countries like Canada that they can't imagine why anyone would, anyone right. would not want to live in Canada. I love Canada. I right. maybe will live there later mm -hmm. in my life. I don't know. Or depending on sure. how things evolve with my elderly parents, you never know. Mm -hmm. But, um, mm -hmm. I think I've, I've lived abroad now for 20 years that I'm kind of just oh used to trying to find the best elements of life wherever I am. So Berlin's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Canada's not perfect. But if I had to live in Canada tomorrow, I would make it work as well. And uh, mm -hmm. I guess I would try to find my, my comedy crew and all that stuff there as well. But Other than Germany, where else did you live? Um, so I did an exchange program in university in New Zealand. So I lived in Wellington for a year. Oh, nice. Um, so yeah. 20 years ago at the end of my undergrad, wow. I lived in Ottawa uh -huh. in Canada. Um, I lived in Port-au-Prince uh -huh. in Haiti, uh, for two years. That oh, was probably wow. The, the most, um, um, unexpected, unusual <laughs> place I've lived. And yeah, uh, what, what brought you to Haiti? That was my, my old diplomatic life. So that was my first, my first assignment with uh, the Canadian mm. government job that I had. So I didn't, oh, I didn't know of... you were a diplomat. Yeah, that was my old job. I thought you were just like in business. <laughs> I didn't yeah. realize you were a, <laughs> That's how I referred to you. Diplomatically. Yeah, that's what I did. I mean, I had that job technically oh for, for 15 years. Um, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So that was my first oh my assignment gosh. was in Port-au-Prince. And then I went from there to Brussels, lived there for mm. four years, worked inside NATO headquarters, <laughs> um, wow. which was uh, strange. And um, <laughs> then 
went back to Canada for a year and then had the chance to move to Berlin. And then I worked for a total of five years here with the Canadian government. So that's so yeah. cool. Yeah. And yeah. then, and then you became a flight and attendant. Then I, then I became a flight attendant. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it's just like, I know it's like, it's, I don't think anyone else has done it and there's probably a reason why, but you know what? I don't, I don't regret anything and I don't yeah. miss my old job. The only thing I miss about my old job is the money. The money was fantastic. Uh, sure. And of course, you know, you have that income coming in every month and the pension and uh -huh. a dental plan and all that kind of stuff. Oh, but yeah. apart from that, I live a very different life now. Mm. I think just in terms of like from a mental health perspective too, mm -hmm. like, because I was going in, I was performing very well at work, but it was so draining for me because I was constantly yeah. on. The changes that I made over the last few years with my career, mm -hmm. from a mental health perspective, it's done me so much good because I used to go into my old office job mm -hmm. where, you know, I was performing very well and I was getting a lot of great opportunities, but I just was not there. Like I was not, mm. I was not, I was so disassociated from the whole thing. Yes. And, um... Yeah, then I started doing stand-up comedy and I needed to figure out my visa situation to stay in Germany. Mm -hmm. And I could have at the time tried to apply for an artist visa, mm -hmm. which I probably could have gotten at that point because mm -hmm. uh, I had done enough performing. But the problem is when you get the artist visa, you can only earn money as an artist. Oh. And in Berlin, it takes quite a long time in order to make enough money to live off of doing comedy. So I said, maybe it's good to have something on the side. I'd yeah. always wanted to work in the airline industry. Uh -huh. My airline was advertising. I went for the yeah. interview and the rest is history. And it, yeah, I love yeah. the job. It's fantastic. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you have <laughs> such an interesting life. I love it. And again, it all has to do with travel, like being free, floating about. Yeah, it yeah. does. It does. I think um, there are like similarities, of course, to the yes. two lines of work. Even yeah. though the the status, the social status of them is considerably uh -huh. different, and the income level is considerably mm -hmm. different, but mm -hmm. at the same time, like you say, travel. But when you're mm -hmm. working in the foreign service, you're living somewhere, and there's a huge difference between living somewhere and just visiting for a day or two. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll be frank, like sometimes the visiting for just a day or two is a lot nicer, right? Because you're, you're just <laughs> you're just there as a tourist. You just have to. Yeah. You don't have to like come to terms with the, I don't know, government bureaucracy or, uh -huh. uh, you know, the fact that your internet connection doesn't work and you're arguing <laughs> with your company, you know, whatever. You don't have to deal with all yeah. that foolishness. And you just go and it's, um, yeah, it's, it's nice. It's also, I, I like working in the airline industry because I like working with people. Mm -hmm. um, and I was kind of starting to rise up the management ladder and mm -hmm. getting farther and farther away from actually having to deal with mm -hmm. interpersonal like customer service situations, which is actually right. what I enjoy. Right. Um, doesn't pay as well, but that's what I enjoy. Mm. Uh, so that there's that. And the airline industry is also great because when my job is done, when my shift is done at the end of the day, that's it. I don't mm. have to look at my phone. I don't have to check my emails. I don't have a supervisor calling me at midnight mm -hmm. because there's some crisis that I have to go into work for mm -hmm. uh, at six in the morning, which was, mm -hmm. you know, uh, kind of just yeah. completely normal with my old job. So yeah. there are some people, 
some people are 100% made for that. Like I have some friends who are still diplomats and they're mm. incredible at it. And they have the, the, the knack for doing exactly what you just said, you know, kind of um, finding that way to kind of wheel and deal and, and get your country's priorities out there. It's also though very, I think some of the, stereotypes that people have about work as a diplomat in terms of the hobnobbing and the mm -hmm. um the elitism and things like mm -hmm. that that's not unfounded mm -hmm. that's definitely part of the life as well mm -hmm. and for me long term i just wasn't comfortable with that I it's see. um it, you know i still i don't talk i don't talk crap about my old job because i think right. it's an important line of work yes. and like i say i have some friends who do it and they love it yeah, And I wish them all the best. But for me, it was just like, I couldn't fit my personality together with mm. that kind of, um, uh, it's a, it's a bit plastic. It's a plastic uh -huh. line of work in some ways. Yes. And to do that for 35 years in order to get my pension, mm -hmm. it just wasn't something I was, I was comfortable with. Yeah, so. I get that. And uh, when you said diplomat immediately, like this one part of my brain went off because like growing up, um, some of these like Korean American girls that I knew as a child, their dads were diplomats. Yeah, yeah. And boy, were they bougie ass bitches. <laughs> like, Lord have mercy, <clears throat> these fucking bitches. Like, their mothers were like another breed of women. I know, I know. Um, I know. Yeah. The way that these girls spoke and the way that they thought, it was just so like foreign to me. But I was still like in awe of, I was like enamored by them and the fact that like their fathers had this status and, um, you know, it's like, it's nothing like my parents, you know, neither of my parents went to college, you know, they're, they both grew up in farms, you know, were mm. immigrants, you know, mm. but like these girls, like, yeah, they, they just had a different kind of way of carrying themselves and thinking and talking and they were well-traveled and, um, yeah, so. Yeah, I, I do I, understand. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with being sophisticated. Like I don't want sure. to sound like some kind of crazy populist. Oh, or something, for sure. But for sure. I'm also from a very like blue collar background. My dad's mm. a construction worker. My right. mom's a homemaker, big family, right. rural family. Yeah. And, um, I think that's part of what made me uncomfortable with the life yeah. is because it was, totally. it felt very, very foreign to me. And it also kind of felt like a life that I had been brought up to think was somehow a little bit crooked, right? Uh-huh. Like that. And yep. I, I, anyhow, I'll maybe tell all the stories someday, but uh, part of my responsibilities in my old diplomatic job, I was responsible for like looking after housing for the diplomats and looking uh -huh. after ambassadors and their requests. And mm. I'm telling you, even the Canadian Foreign Service, which is quite tame mm -hmm. uh, because we're very concerned about optics and stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. But there were some crazy people out there. Was some, <laughs> you know, and deal, dealing with some of, like you said, the spouses, like the spouses, yeah. some of oh them. Oh my God. Yeah. Just like um, not the kind of people I would want to be stuck with on a desert <laughs> island or something. <laughs> Yeah. stretch the imagination so and i and i also do get like the uh, the discomfort around being being around that because of your upbringing because i sense that too at the same time i would be completely lying if i said that i don't also fetishize that kind of status and you know 
culturedness, learnedness, worldliness. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the biggest reason why I'm getting a PhD is because I hated my job and I just wanted to catch a break and get, going to grad school was getting that break. But yeah, yeah. Um, the other thing is, you know, getting a PhD, um, not in terms of money, like income is shit, but <laughs> in terms of um, like your cultural currency and mm. status, there is sort of like a respect that professors mm -hmm. earn in society. And um, yeah, I think, you know, because I grew up lacking that, I think I wanted that. And I think I still want that. Even like, you should see some of my tastes, man. I'm just like, I'm like, Grace, you, you can't afford this lifestyle. What are you doing? <laughs> like every day it's like that. And yet here I am just clicking away like da, da, da. You know, it's dumb. It's so oh, dumb. I know. And don't, I mean, like, Y'all, I mean, I love luxury as much as the next guy. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, I, uh, when I think about when I had my old income and like, I was just like, just like designer suits, designer yes. suits, designer shoes, yes. designer sunglasses. Yes. Designers. And I love that stuff. I still have some of it now and I love wearing yeah. it. It's, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I guess what I always think is what I admire in people is if they can have success, even if, yes. they're, if they're super academic or whatever. Yeah. You get that PhD, uh -huh. but I still want you to be excited about going to Costco to get those muffins. It'll be interesting to see as you move forward in your academic career, uh -huh. how, how, how our grace changes <laughs> with, with time. But I mean, no, there are lots of people who do manage to bring it all together. I remember I had a German professor at university and she uh -huh. stole cutlery off of planes. Oh my Lord. So we went, she invited us over for like a barbecue in the summer, which I thought was super sweet. And then she was like, here's all my cutlery from the planes. <laughs> and it was just like, it was like hundreds of pieces of stolen. Hundreds? Uh, yes. From all the different airlines that she had traveled on. Oh my Lord. So that's the kind of academic I want in my life. <laughs> just to make it clear. Stealing. <laughs> Stealing shit and eating, eating, eating muffins. So yes, okay, all right. Gluttony and some sort of unethical behavior. <laughs> okay, okay, sweet. So um, mm -hmm. the let's get into some flashcard questions. Oh man, okay. The the series that um, I chose for our discussion is called um, My Lovely's Hamsun, old school but classic. Um, mm -hmm. So good. And uh, it's kind of got this like Bridget Jonesy kind of concept, whereas like the actress who plays um, this woman named Samsun, she had to put on fifteen pounds. Ooh, like fuck it, I put on like thirty five pounds during pandemic. Go fuck yourself, you know. That's right. um, they they made such a big deal out of her putting on fifteen pounds to play this role. She doesn't even look fat, but like she's supposed to, she's supposedly fat on this show. Okay, she's thirty. She's overweight and single, and her goal in life is to get a job as a pastry chef and to have a husband. Like those are her two goals in life. Okay. Um, so that's what the show's about, and it's a great show, very comedic, really funny, um, and yeah, I was like, oh, I, I feel like Ben would, like, this suits <laughs> Ben. <laughs> okay, let's do it, let's do All it. Alright, so let's say you're a woman in her late 20s, like I said, you're a pastry chef with training in Paris, so you got of credibility. Um, and you are, like I said, by Korean patriarchal standards, considered quote-unquote fat on the show. 
by the way, you're not at all fat, probably like a size US six or eight at <laughs> most. You're not fat. All right. Uh, but in, in, I guess in Korean standards, you're fucking obese, you know, because everybody has to be emaciated in order to be on screen. So it's Christmas. Okay. And you find out that your man is sleeping with another woman at a hotel. Okay. So you go to that hotel to confront him. But at the last minute, you chicken out and then you start running down the hallway and then you trip and fall on your face and you hear your man approach you and call you, call you by your name. What do you do? Wow, that's an intense situation. <laughs> um, what would I do in that situation? <laughs> um, uh, I would, I think obviously I would be going to, um, you know, I, I, I would, I would make us, I, I obviously was there doing some kind of like a pastry, pastry chef, um, <laughs> research or something. I was at the, I was at the restaurant in the hotel and I was just coming to, they wanted me to check on the room service. So I was walking <laughs> through the hotel to do a little bit of quality control on the pastries uh -huh. and in the rooms, in the hotel in the rooms. rooms, of course, oh, okay, you yeah. know, I mean, yeah, it's a different, different level of service. That's what yeah. people would expect. And, uh, <laughs> definitely I think, but okay. So there's no, yeah. And, um, this is this. But my concern is like, what would I do with that woman too, right? Mm. Because it's not just the confrontation with him, but mm -hmm. maybe I think I'd be full of adrenaline in that moment. I would have mm -hmm. gotten over my like, my uh, my sheepy or uh, my um, mm -hmm. sheepishness in that moment, yep. Yep. and then I would have been like, I'm just pushing that bastard to the side, mm -hmm. and I'm gonna go in to the room mm -hmm. and they're i'm gonna not just have words but it's gonna get you know it's gonna get it's gonna get nasty in that room with this woman who's doing all of this right yeah so maybe take things i know i don't know how well equipped a, a korean hotel room is um but there's got to be some mini bar stuff there i'm sure yeah yeah um and uh those items will be thrown um <laughs> push her up against the curtains, maybe, you know, wrap her up in the curtains, try to strangle her with the curtains. <laughs> yeah. Something. So okay. I think, um, yeah, he, he would, he would regret that decision. Mm. Yeah. How dare he cheat on Ben? Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Got it. All right. Okay. So let's say you're a 20 something year old man. You're the CEO of your own Italian restaurant in Seoul. You're the son of a wealthy family that owns a hotel or several hotels, something like that. You're stuck up as hell, of course, you're a brat, but you have some past trauma, okay? So years ago, you were driving your older brother, your sister-in-law, and their baby daughter, your niece, in a car, but you got into an accident with a motorcyclist, subsequently killing the motorcyclist, killing your brother, killing your sister-in-law. The baby niece survived, and you're raising her but she doesn't speak after this incident, okay? Um, while you were laid up in bed, recovering from your injuries, your girlfriend of many years, your girlfriend of many, many years, the woman you were gonna marry, she leaves you, all right? 
And then a bunch of years later, she returns and wants you back. What do you do? While I'm in my 20s running this fabulous restaurant. So well, this, this, uh, you're, you're now present day, you're running this restaurant, but you were always the son of a wealthy, um, like wealthy conglomerate. It's just, um, when you, when you, when this accident happened, this was like three years ago, but now present day, you're running this restaurant. She's back in town. She wants you back. What do you do? <clears throat> well, um, I, I, I think it's important with the emphasis on drama. Uh-huh. And um make it be known that there won't be any quick reconciliation in that situation, I think. Okay. Right. So um I don't I would maybe even um I know it's taboo in, in Korean society, but uh maybe I'd even pretend I was gay uh-huh. at that point. Just to kind of go as far away as possible from her yeah Uh and to make it seem like i have absolutely no interest Uh in in her at all at that stage yeah um and then she would have to work you know extra hard to (laughs) maybe win me back and uh even though you said you're gay like you're not attracted to women anymore she would still have to make an effort maybe i'm just uh, as a gay man i shouldn't be telling a story like this that we (laughs) read Re- reaffirms these uh, stereotypes that a gay man can be made straight again. But anyhow, that's what I'm encouraging in this situation, I think. Okay, fair um, enough. To, yeah, because I don't know, is this poor guy, is he, is he pining over, over, has he been pining over this, this I mean, girl, no, he's pissed. He's very angry. I mean, he was like at the absolute bottom, right? Yeah. You know, members yeah. of his family had died. Mm-hmm. He's totally like physically, you know, immobilized because mm-hmm. of the accident. And his girlfriend, the woman that he loves, that he wants to marry, she leaves him mm-hmm. without any excuse, just fucking leaves. Yeah. Could you also like, I mean, maybe I'd poison some food as well. I don't know if that's, if that's, <laughs> oh, if that's popular God. in, in Korea, but you know, have her over. <laughs> she wants to come to the restaurant. Yeah. And then yeah you know, pretend like a... you're making nice and give her a plate of pasta but it's full of like cyanide or something yeah not like deadly oh just, okay just... just enough to like yeah cause a considerable inconvenience for a few okay days, make her I shit her say. pants or something okay exactly yeah all right yeah sweet yeah. okay so yeah. let's say you're the old girlfriend who left that guy okay so okay. pretend you're in her shoes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's say it's in the before times again this is like when he's laid up in bed because of his injuries he's depressed over the guilt of killing his brother and sister-in-law left his niece orphaned you know and uh, you find out that you have stomach cancer what do you do (laughs) (laughs) run 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 with it (laughs) so i would want to i think um stomach cancer is terminal clearly mm-hmm. i'm guessing yeah. um, i mean there could be stages let's say you're stage two you're not like stage three there's treatment options okay yeah but um, you but you are fearing death you do feel like you might die okay yeah 
I'm trying to, um, <laughs> is this, is the stomach cancer some in for her to go back to the restaurant and be like, I need to experience one last, you know, <laughs> let me eat your Italian food while I still have my whole stomach. I don't know. Maybe that would be one option. These, I'm telling you, these Korean dramas have the twists and turns, don't they? These are very it's, intense. You, you don't know, you don't know what's coming. I hope, I hope that young woman and the young man find a way to. Uh, did they find a way to get back together? No. No. Of course not. She left him. She left him at his worst, and then she went to the U.S., got treatment, got better, and then she showed up three years later. Um. But by then, he was in love with the chubby lady. Okay. <laughs> the pastry okay. chef. The so pastry let's say you're that chef. pastry chef. All right? Let's say you're that pastry chef lady who got dumped on Christmas. <laughs> and the man who dumped you on Christmas gets engaged to your younger friend, your younger, prettier, richer <laughs> friend. And he commissions you to make their engagement party cake. What do you do? Oh, well, that one. I mean... I think I would make like a cake that is absolutely beautiful on the outside. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. But again, there's some sort of horrible secret in the cake. Like you like, curse the cake? You curse it. Like, you know, I don't want to go down the poisoning route again. Uh -huh. But I'd maybe put like, maybe you could put like pictures inside wow. somehow of you with him. You know, wow. and then as people are eating the cake, they would find those pictures. <laughs> That's like some soap operas. That's some soap opera shit right there. I Maybe. love that. That is so crazy. I love it. Can you imagine just kind of sli oh slicing God. or people digging in with a fork and being like, anyhow, you're making me want to start to watch a uh, South, South Korean uh, soap operas now, I think. This is a good one. Yeah. They're not all good, but this is a really good one. Okay. Last question. You're doing so great. These are such amazing Thank answers. You. All right. So you're that pastry chef lady, okay? The chubby one, the one that got dumped on Christmas. You're 30 now. All right. You and that restaurant owner guy, you guys are in love now. Y'all are in love. Okay. And his ex-girlfriend, the one who had stomach cancer, asks him to escort her back to the U.S. All right. And you begrudgingly allow him to do this. Okay, but after he goes, you don't hear from him. You don't, don't no phone call, no letter, no nothing, no email, nothing. All right, for months, and then one day he just shows up, reappears in front of you. What do you do? Um... I feel like ever. I feel like poison is always the answer. Why do I? Why do I always just gravitate immediately to like making the person suffer some sort of incredible gastrointestinal problem? Um, but how seriously? How would she not like? Why? I wouldn't have waited the three months. I would have gone to the U.S. and stalked him there. Oh wow! I don't yeah. know. I think that's what I would have done because mm -hmm. that's like. I don't think I, she's been through enough, that pastry chef lady. <laughs> yeah. You know, she has. from the sounds of it. I mean, there's been so many twists and turns in her life. Yes. 
and the judgment she faces. And I mm. don't think I would have done three months, three months. I mean, what on earth? I don't care how much chemo that yeah. woman needs or whatever while she's in the U.S. Yeah. I would be making a scene. Yeah. And like if she goes to the U.S., being a size six or eight is not at all fat. <laughs> you know, she would be even, accepted. She wouldn't even qualify for any treatments there. Exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, um, I think, uh, yeah, I always like when a TV series kind of uh, goes to an unusual location, and uh. I think that could be a good, um, a good, a good twist and turn for, for the, for this show. So much, so much can happen to a pastry chef. Who knew? <laughs> Who <So>. knew? <laughs> it's a joy talking to you, Ben. Thank you. Well, thanks. thanks for having me. Same here. Yeah. And uh, take care of yourself over there. Thank you. You too. Next week, we're going to talk about a show called Full House, which is another old school drama. I'm on an old school K-drama kick right now. I want to see all the shows that I watched while I was in high school. Okay. Came out in 2004. Uh, it's another summer drama and it stars P, who you will also known as Rain. And it stars Song Hye-kyo. And they're so young and cute on this show. It's adorable and it's hilarious. So check it out and we'll talk about this show next week. As always, please email me if you have any questions. Email me at kdramaschool at gmail.com. Visit the website kdramaschool.com. Follow all the socials, right? Follow me on social media at kdramaschool. And please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just subscribe. Why not? Just follow it. It's like a click of a button. And subscribe to Apple Podcasts. Please rate this podcast. Please review it. If you can, it just takes, what, 30 seconds? I would really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I appreciate all of you. And I will see you all next week. Bye.